10 million percent. It's a mind-boggling number. 10 million is a big number, but then you put percent on the end, and it's like, what exactly are you talking about? This year, the inflation rate in Venezuela is expected to hit 10 million percent. It actually could go higher because the last several months, the inflation rate has been 2 million percent per month. Which, what does that even mean in a country where we, we measure inflation in a single digit percent? What that means is that if, if you get paid and say, on one day and you wait till the next day to go grocery shopping, you won't have enough money to buy because the prices are increasing so fast. I was listening to a story with a young woman who lives in Venezuela, works as an economist, and, but, and she was talking about what it's like to live day by day in a place where the price of bread is increasing by thousands of dollars per day. She said that she gets paid in U.S. dollars, which means that she gets to live pretty richly. But and they have to use debit cards because you can't carry barrels full and wheelbarrows full of cash to do this with. But she she has to exchange money and then immediately go grocery shopping, or else the money will be worthless. She talked about how like she will always exchange some extra so she can give it to the people begging on her way to the street. She said, you just walk through the grocery store and you're like, well, I haven't seen this for a while. Let me buy it anyway. And so she'll just buy random things because she says, I won't see this again for a long time. And they ask her, why are you staying? And she said, this is going to sound really millennial, but I think I can make a difference here. She said, I think I can make a difference. And so I'm staying in a place where I can make a difference. I wonder about about how that connects with where we're at. That each one of us like goes through our day-to-day, whether it's a boomer, or it's a millennial, or a child, or a Gen Z. Each one of us thinks, you know, I don't want to do a job that makes no difference. I want to do a job that makes a, do, does something that matters. I don't, I don't want to just retire from a job and just do nothing. No, I want my life to count for something. That's something that I've noticed, whether somebody's young or old. This desire that my life means something. Like that young woman in Venezuela says, I think I can make a difference. So here we come on Easter Sunday, each one of us working different jobs, with different families, with different hobbies, with different things, but this underlying desire for our lives to mean something, for it to matter if we're here or if we're not here. Today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 28, at what Jesus considers his destiny, and how Jesus viewed his destiny as an invitation to you and I into something great. So that we don't just go, oh yeah, I lived and I died and people forgot that I was ever here. But Jesus actually invites us into something that matters. That makes a difference. So go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. The series that we've been in has been called Destined because the entire book of Matthew is laid out with Jesus' death and His resurrection as His destiny. This is what everything led to. This isn't just some accident. This isn't outside of Jesus' control. Jesus set his face towards what was going to happen on Easter weekend because he believed that it was his destiny. So today we're going to look at the story. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1, says, After the Sabbath, that is Saturday, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook 
and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we open your word here on Easter weekend, that you will give us new life through it, Lord, that you will open our ears to hear and to see what it is your entire life and your death and your resurrection will lead to. In Jesus' name, amen. So the, de- the details in this story are, like, are super important right here at the beginning because it names Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Back in chapter 27, what we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks and what we looked at on Good Friday, was that it was very, Matthew is very specific at who witnessed Jesus' death and who saw where he was buried. It's not just Jesus was buried, but Matthew names these are the people that buried Jesus and Mary, Magdalene, and the other Mary were there. These are eyewitnesses. They aren't mis- making a mistake. They knew exactly what tomb Jesus is in. And so they go. Then the story says there was a violent, and the story, there was a violent earthquake. Angels come down from heaven, rolling away the tomb, or the stone from the tomb. Tells us about their appearance, but it says the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. But all of this really leads up to what the angels have to tell the two Marys. You see, we can look at the Easter story and go, like, what is the big deal here? But angels were sent as messengers from God, and it is their words to merit to the Marys that matter so much. And I love that they identify Jesus who was crucified. This is his identity. Jesus was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. You see, we can have all sorts of pictures in our head about what, who Jesus is and what Jesus was like. We can have all these images of what is Jesus' identity, but right here the angels are like, remember, Jesus said this was going to happen. He was going to die and he's going to rise again. This is Jesus' destiny. And he was in control of it the entire time. But it ultimately leads to one message that the angels have for the two Marys. Go and tell the disciples to go to Galilee. You see, like if this is what Jesus had predicted, then the angels are like, but it's not over. Something's going to happen in Galilee. So then in scene 2, starting in verse 8, the women hurry away from the tomb. And I love this description. Afraid, yet filled with joy. Afraid yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So here, the, the two women have seen the tomb where Jesus was at. They, they see the angels sitting on the stone. They see the guards laying there like dead men. And then they hurry away, afraid yet filled with joy. And Jesus interrupts their obedience. They're going to do what the angels told them to do, and Jesus interrupts. So what's what's their response? They fall at his feet and they worship. This is unheard of for Jewish women to do. First of all, no Jewish historian would say women's, women's testimony matters that much. Women's testimony wasn't admissible in court. You couldn't convict somebody because a woman had been a witness to something. And yet, Jesus' first two witnesses are women. 
And a Jewish person spent their entire life quoting every day, there is one God. There is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And so for these women to bow down and worship Jesus means that they have realized this man is not just a man, this man is God. And then Jesus says greetings or blessings, but again, He does just the exact same thing that the angels do. And He says, go and tell My disciples to meet Me in Galilee. If this is Jesus' destiny, something's about to happen in Galilee. The angels have said it, and now Jesus has repeated it. And then there's a, an interruption. Verse 11 says, While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole Him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. These are the same men that chapter 27 said had done everything they could to make the tomb secure. They'd done everything they could to see Jesus killed, and then they did everything that they could to keep the tomb secure. And the guards couldn't stop it, and so the guards run and tell the chief priest, and one of my kids noticed last night, the chief priests and the Pharisees didn't say, you're a liar and you're mistaken. They didn't say you're mistaken. They said, here's a story and here's some money. And so the, the guards were the eyewitnesses to this. And the chief priests hear the testimony of an eyewitness and yet it's not enough. It seems that there can always be another story for those that want it. Even those that have seen the resurrection can find another story and make up another story if there's enough money or enough power involved. Then we get to the climax of the story. Verse 16. So the angel said, go to Galilee. And Jesus said, go to Galilee. So now we're in Galilee. Verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So if we read the book of Matthew, Jesus' destiny is His death and His resurrection. And as soon as He's resurrected, He says, go to Galilee. Go to Galilee. This is, this is the climax. This is where everything is pointing to. And so we get to Galilee and we hear these words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What I want to show you today is that Jesus' resurrection is an invitation to you and I to join Him. You and I are invited to join the resurrected Jesus here at Easter. I want to show you three invitations we see in Jesus' destiny here. First, we are invited to join Jesus to worship. What's, what, what's repeated in this passage is this, this word, these words for drawing near. The angels drew near. Then the women, then Jesus draws near to the women, and then the people draw near to Jesus. And each time it's pointing us, go to Galilee and join Jesus. Draw near to Jesus. Go to Galilee and draw near to Jesus. And what we find there is that Mary and Mary and the disciples each bow down to worship Jesus, realizing that the resurrection means God, Jesus is not just some man. Some great man with great gifts and great holiness, with great wisdom. 
that if Jesus died and was resurrected, then that must mean He is God because that is not something any human can do. And so the invitation to you and I at Easter is will you bow down and worship Jesus? Will you bow down and worship Jesus? There's a million things to bow down and worship. We could be like the guards and bow down and worship money. Fine, I'll tell, the, I'll tell a different story if it gets me enough money. We could be like the, the chief priest and we could bow down and worship power and control. Or will we bow down and worship Jesus? If, this, if you are who you say you are, if you don't need somebody else to raise you back from the dead, then we will bow down and we will worship you. What kind of God are we invited to worship? We're invited to worship the, the God that the angels described. Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as He said. That's the kind of Jesus that you and I are invited to worship. The kind of Jesus that doesn't need somebody else's power and somebody else's money and somebody else's anything. We're invited to worship the kind of Jesus who can be crucified in our place and raised to life so He can give us His life. The difference in the book of Matthew between Judas and Peter what they would do after their mistake, after their sin, after their rejection of Jesus. We could, we could say, oh, look at Judas. He's so bad. But Matthew doesn't really make much of a distinction between Judas and Peter. The difference between Judas and Peter is Judas found remorse. Judas realized what he'd done was wrong. He tried to fix it on his own, and when he couldn't fix it, he killed himself. And Peter realized he couldn't undo what he had done, but he went to Galilee to worship. And that's the invitation to you and I. Will we be like Judas and say, no, no, I'm not going to be like, no, I'll, I'll fix this, God. God, I'm good enough. I can do this on my own. Or will we be like Peter and say, I can't undo any of this. And so I'm just going to go to Galilee and worship. I've got nothing else to bring, but I'll fall down before Jesus. And so here's my question. Here at Easter, will you worship? Will you draw near to the crucified but now risen Jesus? Will you worship at Easter? Like the disciples. The second invitation we see in Jesus' destiny here. We're invited to join Jesus' destiny. What I want to show you. When they get to Galilee, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he finishes with, and I will be with you always. And so right here, Jesus says, I have all authority, and I'm going to be here. And how does he want to see that used? How does Jesus want to see his authority and his presence used? And he wants disciples. That's a kind of a, a church word, a Christian word. And honestly, I was at a conversation with some pastors recently, and somebody asked this older pastor with a long career of, Faithful ministry, how do you make a disciple? And he said, good question. If you figure it out, let me know. Disciple can be this like this loose word that it's hard to grab onto. But what we can't miss is Jesus wants to use His authority and His presence because He wants people. He wants people. I have all authority and I ha you can have my presence. What do I want? I want people. I don't want to be the emperor. I don't want kingdoms. I don't want money. I don't want all that stuff. I don't want the presidency. I don't want the power. I want people. 
I'll use my authority and I'll use my presence because I want you. That's the climax of the entire book of Matthew. Jesus' destiny. Dead, now he's risen, and what does he want? One person at a time. It's because persons are the kingdom that God wants. That's what his heart longs for. And so what God wants to do happens in one person at a time. Small rooms, small homes, insignificant towns, little blocks, little families. What God wants to do happens in people. That's far different than what you and I want. You and I want to see institutions and and big things happen, things that everybody else can point out, but what if it's one person? Jesus says, that's the thing that I want. It's not money and it's not power and it's not impressive stuff. I just want one little person at a time. John Frame, when commenting on how God works and the, what, what God is up to in the world, said typically God doesn't push buttons. He sends messengers. Typically God doesn't push buttons. He sends messengers. Because what God wants is people. He wants you and your little family. He wants you and your little block. He wants us in this little town. He wants us in Wisconsin. God wants people. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and get people. Go and get people. And so, will you go and stand on your porch this week and look up and down your block and say, God wants people. These kind of people. Will you stand in your house and look at the kids in your house? Look at your husband or your wife? Will you look at grown kids or grown parents and say, when God builds a kingdom, He looks for people. Like this one. Like me. Will you pray and say, God, give me a heart. Give me a heart like you have that beats for people. Because you see your kingdom destiny as a group of ragtag and messed up as we are, when you have authority, you use it to get people. One person at a time. The third invitation that we see here, will you join Jesus' method? Will you join Jesus' method? You see, the, the, the more famous part of this passage, we've gotten to Jesus' destiny, and He says, therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The description here is I want people. Make disciples. And he describes it as three, in three parts. Go, baptize, and teach. It's pretty simple. Go, baptize, and teach. Honestly, it actually starts with somebody coming to us us being baptized, us being taught, and then we join it. The Bible doesn't talk a lot about processes. There's not a lot of formulas in the Bible. A lot of growth in the Bible happens like seeds in a garden. It starts out and you don't know what's happening. And it grows and it grows. And over time, it, it produces fruit. But here we see a method. Will you go? Will you baptize? Will you make disciples? I'll just be honest. One of my weaknesses, one of my mistakes as a pastor has been we've, as a church, ignored baptism. We've talked about it and we've mentioned it, but we've just not called people and said, hey, if you have trusted in Christ, repented of sin and trusted in Jesus alone, then you should be baptized. That's Jesus' method. And so if you're here and you've been a part of this and you're like, honestly, I've repented and trusted in Jesus, but I've never been baptized. 
Will you come get me? We will make this right and follow Jesus' method. I know that there are people in our church that have, within the last year, repented of sin and trusted in Jesus. And the normal thing to do is say, okay, I will be identified with Jesus. Sometimes some people change the order and they baptize before trusting in Christ. That is not our belief and the teaching of our church. Jesus says that we repent of sin and trust in Christ and then we are baptized. But part of being a part of this church is we baptize and then we teach. We teach one another. It's not just me teaching you. It's you encouraging me with your faith, with what God's doing in your own heart. It's me listening to you and you listening as God speaks through me. The normal method of the church. Will you go? Will you baptize? Will you teach? Meaning also, will you be baptized and be taught? So there's very little process in the Bible, but Jesus' method, go, baptize, and teach. We get to the end of this, and Easter can feel like a really rah-rah day. We're really excited. Lots of kids with new shirts and new ties and new suspenders. New dresses. Those of us adults just look in our wardrobe and say, what's the most colorful thing I own? We, we listen to a sermon that says, I'm called to join Jesus to worship. I'm called to join Jesus' destiny as I look at my block and I look at my family and we look at the world and join Him on mission. We, we can be inspired, oh, we're going to join Jesus' method, but quite honestly, I fail at this so much. And maybe you do too. Like, maybe you're like me and you worship money so much more than you worship Jesus. You worship the praise of other people. You worship success and impressing other people and building a life a career, and a name. You don't look at your block and see this glorious destiny that Jesus wants to take hold of. Instead, you look at it and see it as a place to increase home value so you can increase your own wealth. Maybe you're like me, and you go, where's the good news in this, Joe? Where's the good news? Join the resurrected Jesus, but here I am, such a failure. The invitation to us is to be like Peter and to come empty-handed and take what Jesus has to offer. I don't want to miss this chance to say that the story of the Bible is that God made the world good and He made humans and said they are very good. And He said, you be my little kings on the earth and I will be the great king. And Adam and Eve and every person after them said, no, we will live our own way. We will do our own thing. The Bible says it is God's law written on our hearts and we've each one of us turned away to do our own thing, to worship ourselves and to worship money. But instead of leaving us there, Easter weekend is the proof that God would live the life that we should live, die the death that we should die, and come back to life in victory. So that all who turn away from sin and trust in Christ, who turn away from being rebel kings, and say, Jesus, you will be my king. I've got nothing to bring, but I'm going to come to Galilee. And I will meet you there. And I will take what you have, Jesus. That is what it means to be welcomed into the kingdom. And then we have new hearts that can actually worship. We have new hearts that can actually join Jesus on mission in our world. We actually have new hearts that can say, oh, I can be baptized and I can be a part of what God is doing with His method. So my invitation to you is don't let Easter pass as just a nice occasion to dress up, go to church, do some things, but instead take Jesus. And that will change everything. If you have questions about that, please come and grab me during the singing or after the service. Grab the person that brought you and say, hey, I want to know this. I feel it in my heart. I feel the despair. And I want the freedom that comes from Christ. And so here, each one of us is invited to join the resurrected Jesus. And imagine what that looks like in your own life. As you do, go to Galilee like Peter with nothing else 
except worship. Imagine what that looks like this week for a family to be the worshiping family on your block. Looking out at its block saying, Jesus, this is the kingdom that you want, and so I'm going to live here. And see with your eyes. Listen to their stories with your ears. And share your words with these people. Imagine what it looks like for Belgium and the surrounding towns to have a church and to have families who say, God loves these people and considers them His destiny. We're actually cheering them on and rooting for them and and loving them because these are the people that Jesus died and raised to life to get. And imagine what that looks like. As this region of Wisconsin can be a light to the world to places like Bosnia, to places like the Czech Republic, to places like Japan where we have workers that are going and saying, hey, there's six million people here. Jesus looks at each one of them and says, go and make these kind of people my disciples because this is the kingdom that I want. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we thank you that Easter means freedom to us and that you invite us to join you in your destiny. In Jesus' name, amen.